this is my first week back in a little while. I was here last Sunday, but this is my first week back in the office uh, because my family, many of you know, has been expecting our fourth child. So we have had three beautiful blonde daughters um, who many of you have probably seen wandering the aisles or running around somewhere. Uh, they're very usually well-behaved. Um, but end of June, we were expecting our fourth. We didn't know what we were gonna get. It was just a surprise to us. And um, God gave us a son. So uh, he has three older sisters who you can already tell if you spend any time around our family he is going to be smothered with love and affection forever, which will probably mostly be good for him. Um, we'll see long-term. But he is, uh, he's, I mean, this is what he spends most of his time doing right now. But uh, when he's awake, he's so much fun and so good. And so thank you for those of you who've been praying for us and praying for our, oh, excuse me, family. You can continue to pray for my wife, who um, now that I'm back, uh, in work regular is figuring out a rhythm with four kids. Um, so continue to pray for us, but um, we are just so thankful as a family, again, God's provision of not only children, but just health and um, usually everybody's happy and things are going really well. And so as I knew that we were in our series in the Psalms, I decided to try to tackle a Psalm of praise today. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 146. This is obviously near the tail end of the book of Psalms and um, 146 through 150 are really these, these praise psalms. So if you're in Psalm 146, we're gonna start in verse one. And it reads, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Okay, pause for a second here. All right, I find for me personally for how, for how fitting these words should be, right? How fitting these words seem when you're, when you're thinking about our response to who God is. We would praise the Lord, oh my soul, as long as I live, everything in my being. I am so quick to skip over them, right? If you give me a Bible passage, that's like instruction, right? You give me Paul's letters, you give me one of Jesus' teachings, I'm all there, right? I'm even in for the like Dan Cooper style, like this and then this and then this and the three points, like I, I love that stuff. You give me something that's a little bit tricky, like, okay, I can dig into this, I can, you know, what does it mean, what's going on here? But you give me a, a passage like this and it's like, praise the Lord. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, right? But, but I'm so quick to move on, to just breeze right past it. Yep, I understand what it means. Okay, good. But I forced myself this week to really sit in this and okay, what is it, what would it look like for me to actually praise the Lord, right? And a few things that just God drew my attention to. First is that he's worthy of lifelong praise, right? It doesn't say that he's worthy of like a, a lifetime of Sunday mornings going to church. It doesn't just say it's, a, you know, worth a lifetime of a couple minutes in the word every morning, right? Not a checkbox of like a prayer before a meal, 
but he's worthy of praise with everything in our being as long as we live, proclaiming in thought, word and deed that God is the greatest thing in our lives, that he's the one that everything revolves around. That just like the Sermon on the Mount ended, that he's the one worth building our firm, uh, building our lives upon, right? He is the firm foundation. And so again, if you're like me, it's, it's easy to just rush over, okay, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But my challenge for you is to, to reflect on his character this week. Find passages that talk about who God is and what he's done. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all give amazing detail to Jesus's life, to the messages he preached, to the people he cared for, right? The Psalms are great for this. We're in this all summer. They display the character of God and who God is. Oftentimes I find in my own life, there's, there's definitely highs and lows in my spiritual walk. But I can tell you in some of those lows, oftentimes when I don't, I don't feel like praising God, I read this and there are words on a page, but they don't mean much to me. Those are usually seasons where I find myself so distracted with, with the problems of life, with the responsibilities of life. I find the screen time on my phone going up and up and up. I find that instead of a little bit of peace and quiet, right, where I'll just I'll sit there and wash the dishes, just talking with God. Instead, I'm on Netflix, right, or I'm watching something on YouTube. And I fill my heart and my mind with all of these things and it's no wonder that I'm not standing there praising God. So my challenge first and foremost, if, if God's calling us to praise him, if there's this posture of, of praise God with everything that we are, how do we orient our lives in a way where we're filling our hearts and minds with his truth, remembering who he is? Because if we spend time in God's word regularly remembering who he is, seeing the works he's done, Praise will be a natural response in our lives. So do you if, you, you know, if you think about your own life, are these words that you just skim over on a page, are they words that resonate deeply of, yeah, praise God, I'm praising him for who he is and what he's doing. The writer here in verse three moves on to part of why he is praiseworthy. He starts kind of on the negative side in three and four. He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Right, so he brings up trust and help and hope. These are all things I think we long for because we have a very real pulse on the brokenness around us. Right? And hopefully you have a good pulse on the brokenness within you. There are all things that as we look at our own lives, as we look at the world around us that we go, man, I wish things were so much different. I wish it wasn't like that. Probably come up with a long list of things. 
And in the face of all that, we want some sense of safety, security, some sense that things are gonna be okay. We're gonna make it. Things are going to get better. And so we turn to something or someone to seek relief from that. In verses three and four, he's pointing out that very real tendency we have to put our trust in princes, to put our trust in people who we view as important and powerful, someone who seemed like they would have the power to fix the problem, someone who seems like they would have the authority to make it better, to make the decision. They seem worthy of our trust. In our sermon discussion meeting, I've told you guys about this before, our staff each week sits down to look at the passage together and we get just a variety of perspectives on the passage and someone in there this week said, Man, I know that I look to princes, but sometimes I think, I think I'm the prince. I think I'm the one who can make things better. I'm the one who has the power and the authority. I'm the one who has the best idea. And so sometimes we're looking to someone else, but sometimes we're looking to ourselves, right? And whether it's ourselves or someone else we place in that spot, we get tricked into thinking we can place our trust in something else. We see this message everywhere, right? Whether you got this problem, well, I've got the product for you and with three low payments, we can fix your problem, Right, whether it's some uh, you know, broader issue in our society, the world's crashing down, but if you vote me in, we'll fix this, I'll fix this, everything's gonna get better. Right, we've gone through hard things at a, as a church. I imagine there have been and will continue to be times where you will be tempted to place your hope in whether it's uh, Tim, whether it's me, whether it's one of the pastors of our church, Right? There's times where maybe you know, your business is struggling and man, if you just get this right system, if you just hire the right person, all your problems will be solved. A feeling of, man, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm directionless. Everyone seems to be moving on in life and there's that temptation to go, oh, if I could just find that person to marry, man, life would get so much better. Everything would be all right. There is something so tempting to us about a, a person with a solution. Right, a person who can go, if you, just, if you just follow me, I can fix it all. That idea, that's not, that's not new. He uses the language in here. He says, a son of man. That's um, Old Testament, God's people language looking forwards towards a Messiah, a savior. But he says here, right, a a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Do not put your trust in someone, right, who you, you think is going to save you, who looks like, man, they're the answer, but has no saving power. The message, which is um, a paraphrase of the Bible, uh, paraphrases verse three as, um, don't put your life in the hands of experts who know nothing of life, of salvation life. Do not place your trust in someone who can't save you. A savior who when his breath departs on his last day, his body returns to the earth and his plans are over. Right? Undoubtedly, there have been men and women throughout history who've made a huge uh, impact and difference in the world. 
This is not belittling that. This is not, it's also not kind of some invitation to overthrow the government, to disrespect our authorities. They don't matter. They're nothing. This is an invitation to remember that all of those things and all of those people, all of those plans, they only get you so far. They're temporary. But we saw verse five and six. Let's read this again. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. This word uh, blessed or blessed there, it's uh, Pastor Todd walked us through this in week one, right? He did a survey of the Psalms and just by way of reminder to you, what we saw throughout the Psalms was um, it's, a state of, it's a state of being, it's a state of being for someone whose, whose sins are covered, for someone who, who positionally is right with God, right? Who takes refuge in him, who's content and secure in God, who's filled with joy because of the mercy of God, who's satisfied and content in God because of God's goodness, Right? None of that, none of that is based on their um, outward circumstances. It is based on God and who God is and what God has secured on their behalf. So blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. This, this praise towards God is rooted in this picture of God's help all the way back at the beginning of establishing his covenant with Abraham. Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob, right, who has helped and provided for his people like over the long haul here. This is not a temporary prince we're talking about. This is the God, right, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord. Right, again, you, you don't need to look far to see that the world is broken. We are broken. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And yes, we're going to work to make things better. We're not just you know, sealing everybody off in good riddance. Right, we want to actively reflect God's presence and his shaping um, work on the world around us. But when things don't, going when things don't go according to plan, does it ruin us? if we don't get the thing that we want, right? If things aren't going according to plan, if the circumstances aren't working out, are we crushed? It's okay to be sad. It's, that's actually a right emotional response when things don't go our way. But sometimes emotion can clue us in to our hope being placed in the wrong things. Right, the one who is blessed is the one whose hope is not resting on someone else, but it's resting on God. There's something amazing when you see someone whose hope is so secure in God that even when things aren't going according to plan, they can sit in those circumstances and go, praise God. When the money doesn't come through, I can still praise him. When the promotion doesn't come through, I can still praise him. When my kids' lives are a wreck, I can still praise him. 
because it's not based on the circumstances. It's not based on the odds of something good happening right in our future. It's based on God. It's based on God's promises, looking at his faithfulness. That's the beauty of God's word is that we have account after account after account of God's faithfulness for his people where the odds were always stacked against them. There was very little circumstantial evidence for them to think things are going to get better. Things are going to work out. The only thing that they had to hold on to was God himself and his promises towards them. Part, part, of, what, um, part of what makes praise, I think, so challenging for us sometimes is that we just, we lose sight of um, of what God has done. And so again, my encouragement to you, be in God's word. Remember who he is and what he's done. That's what this psalm is doing. It's calling us to to see who he is and what he's done. And in verse six here, I I love, um, right? He, He roots this as the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and who keeps faith forever. It's this picture of this awesome, incredible creator God, right? Like this past week, I made an Excel spreadsheet. God is making like all of the creatures of the sea, right? We have like creation, creative power, but we pale in comparison to who God is and what he's able to do. And so he's turning our eyes towards God and his praiseworthiness, So he has said, he's displayed for us the emptiness of trusting in princes, right? Or putting your hope and trust in someone else. He's reminding us here of the faithfulness and goodness and awesomeness of God. But what sort of work does this faithful God do, right? Who is he? What is he about? We're gonna read verses seven through nine here in just a second, but you'll probably hear some themes that we've heard in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I read through this for us, we read through it together, I want you to to listen or look for what is God doing and who is he doing it for, right? What is God doing and who is he doing it for? So verse seven, right? This is a God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So if you're familiar at all with Jesus's um, teaching and ministry in the New Testament, um, this sort of language probably brings all sorts of things to you, uh, things to mind for you, right? There are... um, there's a physical dimension to it, which we'll talk about in just a second, but, but I wanna draw your attention first to the, the spiritual picture of the gospel here. Right? It's not too much of a stretch to, to realize that we were spiritually oppressed and God executed justice by sending Jesus to take our place. That we were spiritually hungry and we tried to fill ourselves, but nothing would satisfy. But God through Jesus Christ provided food that would bring true satisfaction and fulfillment. That we were prisoners, we were enslaved to sin and we couldn't live in a way that pleased God. But God set us free to be able to worship him with every part of our being. 
that we were spiritually blind and we couldn't see the goodness and praiseworthiness of God. Right? We, we couldn't even see it. There was nothing in us that would go, that's a God worth praising. But he opened our eyes to see him in a new way. We were bowed down, beaten up, crushed by the weight of our own sin. And he lifted us up, reminding us that his burden is light and the price is paid. Right? We were foreigners outside of God's people. God watched over us and protected us and ultimately folded us into his people. We were spiritual widows and orphans without someone to love, protect, and provide for us. But God came and said, I will uphold you. I will care for you. I will provide. And so this is unquestionably the best praiseworthy news that we have. Right, as we skim over the, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is stuff that when we hear this, when we read this, when we actually think about it and reflect on what God has done on our behalf for us, it should lead us to praise him. But there's also such a beautiful physical picture of the gospel and a physical picture of God's heart here. As, again, as you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, it's really difficult to miss Jesus's ministry to the oppressed, to the hungry, to the prisoner, to the blind, to the bowed down, to the traveler, the widow, the orphan. Right? Undeniably, God has a heart for the brokenhearted, the outsider, the downtrodden. I think there's something about realizing so tangibly that you have need that makes you more open and aware to who God is and your need for him. Right? If you're someone who's never had to wonder about provision in your life, sometimes it can be hard to realize you need a provider. But if this is, if this is you, if you find yourself in this situation, right, verses um, seven through nine there, you go, yeah, I, I think I fit into one of those categories. And do not forget, God is near. He is a faithful provider. He is the one providing Every good gift comes from him. But if you're someone in this room and uh, you feel like you've been well provided for, right, there's two things I want us to remember and I think seven through nine calls our attention to. Right? And first it's, first it's praising God for his provision. Praising God for his provision, remembering that all that we have comes from him. Now, when I was much younger, my uh, parents were trying to teach me what it looks like to walk with God. And they would say things like, uh, man, God's provided so much for us. God has given us so much. God has, um, you know, done so much for our family. And I don't know, I, I was a kid and I'm like trying to sort this out. And I don't think I ever said this to my parents, but like, what do you mean God's providing for our family? You're the one who goes to work, right? Mom, dad, you go to jobs. You show up, you do the work. At the end of the week or two weeks or however it works, you get paid and the company you know, pays us and then we spend that money on food and all the things. And like, I don't see God going to work and bringing home the paycheck and there's no like money falling down from heaven or like how on earth is God the one providing for us? What happened was I, uh, I was confused or I had lost sight 
I think I was confused about the, the method or the mechanism God uses to provide. I confused that with the provider himself. Right, so I was getting confused, like, yes, right? My, my parents went to work. They worked honest jobs. They got paid. That money provided for our family. But I missed a God who had um, gifted and crafted my parents in a specific way to be a blessing to others, right? And to be compensated for that. I missed a God who um, opened doors and opportunities at the right time for my parents, I missed a God who um, continues to this day to give sustaining uh, energy, right? Creativity, breath in their lungs, life itself to my parents so that they're able to work, provide for us as kids. And so sure, sure, my parents faithfully showed up to work. They faithfully earned a paycheck. That money provided for our family, but they did it through the strength, ability, opportunities, and a thousand other things that God had given them. And so if you're in this room today, right, and you're well provided for, do do not lose sight of the God who's providing for you. Yes, there's a very real sense in which, you know, you are expending your creative energy and time and all the things, but it's ultimately God who's working these things to provide for us. And that is something that we can praise him for. But second here, if you're someone who's been well provided for, we'll praise God that we've been given the means then to help provide for others. Again, God cares deeply about his people and about those far from him who have um, yet to be folded into his family. And so this is a God who cares about... um, and generally provided for us, generously provided for us, surely we should be generous as well. As you think about this, as you think about caring for the poor, as you think about caring for those in unfortunate circumstances, there are probably a thousand different opinions in this room about how that should happen, right? Should it be this law or this policy or this um, city agency? Should it be the church? Should it be parachurch ministries? Should it be you doing it out of your home? Should it, you know, there's a thousand different things that we could try to use to tackle. This is the right means to solve the problem. I don't believe the Bible here is prescribing the exact means by which you do that. I think it's probably some combination of all of those things. But here's what God uh, does not want us to lose sight of. Here's what's a lot harder for us to argue about. That God is the one providing. That he cares for uh, people who are on the fringes. And so whether we have much or we have little, what's been given to us was given to us by God. He is the provider, praise him, praise him and praise him all the more if we have plenty and have the means to be that provision for others, that we have the chance to be his hands and feet to the people in this room, to the people in our city. Praise him. But what's really cool to me is that in Jesus' ministry, we often get to see these, this physical provision uh, married so tightly with spiritual provision. 
Right? All throughout Jesus' ministry, we see things like um, Jesus giving sight to the blind and using it as a physical image of receiving spiritual sight. Right? Physical provision and spiritual provision tied together. We see Jesus healing people and using that physical image to explain spiritual healing. We see Jesus freeing people from uh, real physical demonic oppression and using that as a picture of our freedom from sin. We see him using all of those means of physical provision to explain spiritual provisions that he himself would provide, the forgiveness of sin. And so for you in your individual life and for us as a church, we have to navigate how can we marry these two things together where any physical provision, right, not only provides for people, but becomes such a tangible picture of the gospel, of the real spiritual healing, the real spiritual food, the saving work that God himself is the only one who can bring. And so all of this, all of this provision is a means to point us. Look at verse 10. Remind us, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. All right, this is, this is kingly language here, that language of reigning. This is not a temporary earthly prince. This is not someone whose plans are fading away. This is a God who's going to reign forever to all generations. And you see the, the first words in verse one was praise the Lord and he ends here at verse 10, praise the Lord. So my challenge for us today is to not skip over praise. To not just read through it and go, okay, yeah, like I, I'm so guilty of if, if I like understand it, then I don't, I feel like I don't need to reflect on it at all. Like my goal is understanding. And so if I get it, then it, uh, it's fine. I got it. But this is something that has to work its way deeper inside of us, into our heart and mind in a way that it's not just a thing we understand, but it's a thing we genuinely praise him for. And part of what I love about 146, Psalm 146 here being rooted in provision is that God has ultimately provided for us in Jesus Christ but God has also provided endless things that are true gifts in our lives. And so this week, my challenge for you is to praise God, right, by one, by filling your heart and mind with his truth, remembering what he has done throughout the generations and how he will be faithful for generations to come. But also to take an account in your own life of, okay, if, it's, if I'm having a hard time praising God, maybe I need to spend time not only thinking about who he is, but thinking about what he's provided for me. But we need to be a people whose lives reflect praise and honor and glory towards God. Let's turn to him in praise and I'll close us in prayer here. God, you are good and gracious and kind and merciful. And God, I confess that all too often, um, all too often I lose sight of you um, and your praiseworthiness. God, I confess I'm prone to stealing 
honor and glory and praise from you. I'm guilty of thinking that I'm the one providing for myself. Guilty of thinking somehow I earned all the stuff that I have. But God, you tell us plainly in your word that part of the reason we can praise you is because you are that provider. You are the one who has given us every good thing. Whether we have much or we have little, God, we begin to see you as the one who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. And God, if you have provided much for us, God, would you open our eyes to how we can be your hands and feet and mouthpiece to the world around us. Teach us how to praise and honor you this week, Lord. Give you all the glory and honor and praise you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.